going through a divorce is a difficult emotional turmoil that hopefully you won't have to do too often in your life but you are going to find that the pieces that need to come in the truth documents i would call them are the financial affidavits both of you and your partner if you are dealing with a narcissist there's probably a good chance that they are um not telling the truth inflating things deflating things what do we do about that what mistakes should we not make on our financial affidavit we're going to talk about that today with karen and Catherine from my divorce solutions they are going to give us the outline of the importance of things the flags to look for and the mistakes not to make we are so passionate about this because this is your future and we are going to bring this to you today so that you have the information you need to understand your financial affidavit. My name is Tracy Malone. I am the founder of NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I am a coach and I am the author of Divorcing Your Narcissist. So here, let's get started with what is the financial affidavit and what do we need to know? Let's welcome Karen and Catherine. Welcome, Catherine and Karen. I am so excited to have you guys back. Um, you are a wealth of information. So I want you guys to start by somebody telling us who you are and what you do because I've interviewed you before and your financial profile is like what everyone needs. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'll tell you that we're so happy to be here and then I'll let Karen tell you what we do. <laughs> that sounds great. So we are My Divorce Solution. Uh, Catherine and I, from our professional and personal experiences, both of being divorced, and Catherine's a CDFA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, and I come from 30 years in the legal industry, um, very heavily in litigation. So as a result of us going through our divorces, we quickly understood that there's a gap between financials analysis and legal requirements that's so broad and deep that it prevents people from having clarity when making divorce decisions. So from that space, we created the My Divorce Solution online platform where people can work to build their divorce financial portrait, helping them understand what they have, um, what those options are relative to their marital estate, how they're interpreted, and then it gives them all the ability to compromise. The online platform helps them <clears throat> gather the necessary documents, understand what those documents mean, understand what support calculations they may be up against, and also helping them fill out and prepare a solid financial declaration. And I believe that's what we're talking about today because that's one of the first things most people are faced with when uh, approaching divorce. And it's one of the most critical documents in the divorce process over on the legal side, not necessarily on the financial side, but over on the legal side is super important and can really um, make a difference in the outcome of their divorce. So why is it so important on the legal side versus the financial if it's a financial affidavit? I know because <laughs> it's very important over on the legal side because it's an inventory of sorts of income, expenses, assets, and debts that the attorneys and the courts use to make decisions. Mm -hmm. However, it doesn't really give financial clarity. It's a report of sorts. I call them word problems, um, but it's really how the that side, the legal side interprets information relative to any decision that has to be made. 
Mm -hmm. That's a really good explanation. So what we're talking about is the financial affidavit, guys. In case nobody out there has gotten that in our introduction, we are talking today about the financial red flags of an affidavit, um, the things we want to know we should have in there, not miss, don't forget. Um, so besides the legal ramifications, what other really important things. Why is this such a, an important cog in the wheel? If it's not filled out correctly, if the information isn't complete, what's the danger? What's the risk? So there's a lot of risk assigned to it. And every state has a different name for these forms. Some, some of them are called financial decks. Some of them are called affidavits. Some of them are called statement of net worth. In Pennsylvania, they're not even necessarily required, but they're called inventories and appraisement. Um, New Jersey case information sheet. So in every state, they're just named something differently. But at the end of the day, it's an inventory and a reporting of your income, expenses, assets, and debts. So the reason that they can become at risk, so to speak, is because attorneys and mediators hand this form to their client and say, fill it out to the best of your ability. And what does the client do? They're emotional, they're upset, they don't know, is it, is it my income and expenses now, last year, in the future, you know, am, am I um, financially uh, restrained right now? So is that different? So they just fill it out, right? I'm guessing, I have no idea, hopefully this is gonna work, but I don't care because my attorney's gonna take care of it for me, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong. That's very wrong. wrong. Yeah. And the forensics as well for, you know, we, we've done a video on the, the forensic accountants and um, they take those numbers and then they play with them. They don't really look at them. They don't know there's things missing. It, it becomes almost the law because it's there. But if they haven't filled it out completely or what I see with my clients, and I want you guys to tell me the biggest mistakes you guys see, but what I see is, you know, well, you know, I moved into this very small little apartment while we were going through the divorce and my rent is $1,200, but, you know, I've got three kids. So once they start visiting, it's not going to work out. They're not putting the right number down. They put the 1200 down, not going, but this is not how I want to live in the future. And therefore they, they, the numbers are based on that and you're going to lose out in the end. Right. Yeah. You know, I want to point out a couple of things with that comment, um, because, a lot of people, when they know that they're setting up divorce, they'll encourage that spouse who might be receiving support or might have a potential to receive support to downsize or encourage them to sell the home because this will be the best financial decision that we make. But what you're not realizing, if you're on the receiving end, two, two considerations or guidelines or what is your need and what is the ability of the other party to pay? So if your need just went from $3,500 to $800 a month because your rent went down by that, you, you, you just kind of um, worked against yourself. So if these red flags are occurring, and even if you think that your, your spouse is contemplating divorce and all of a sudden they're changing in your life, there's changes that they're requesting in your lifestyle, especially to your viewers, you know, they listen to their spouses because it's probably a less contentious way to move about life. Um, just stop and pause and say, what's going on here? Don't make any changes just because they're telling you to. You know, in addition to that affidavit, you talked about some red flags and what Karen was saying. Uh, one of the uh, problem with um, um, 
people who are not in the know of their financial um, situation, they go to mediation and the mediator even has them fill out this information without any documentation to support it. So if you're sitting there and you have a spouse who's aggressive or financially abusive towards you, you're told to just believe that number they put down because they know, especially when they rattle it off so quickly, you're tempted to believe that they know or your mediators attempted to believe that you know. Um, and that's not true. You need the documents to support it. Anybody can put a number down just off their memory and then say, I forgot. So don't believe exactly what your spouse is seeing um, because it's really interesting when we get both affidavits, the differences between two of them. Um, and a lot of times you just put, I don't know. So if the other party puts, they know we're supposed to believe that. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. so true. And while on your financial deck, you have, most attorneys will instruct you to fill out the information as it is today. So if you have already made the decision to move out, we caution people on doing that and downsize, you do have to report that information, but it's so important that you qualify it relative to your lifestyle and this whole you know COVID has played a huge part in our um, recent financial deck so even sometimes that has to be qualified so even though you are reporting numbers and they need to be actual numbers and not round numbers if they're very different from the lifestyle you were accustomed to living it's so important that you qualify those dollars relative to what your lifestyle was mm -hmm. And, and for me, when my ex filled out his financial affidavit, ding, 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 I saw red flags because I was the one who did the financial stuff. Um, and, and I know in most narcissistic relationship, the narcissist takes that rung, but mine was so lazy that he just, like, you do everything, go ahead. And, and that was my job. So I knew that when he put in that he spends $1,000 a month on magazines, I literally went through the five years of statements and came back with no magazines thank you and that line was be able to take it off right he also put down five thousand dollars a month for rent he was living in his parents house um and so we said could you show us the checks the lease anything there was nothing and that had to be put down to a number that was reasonable rent for his area so again um you have to look these over to kind of verify if you can if you've got access like i did to the statements and again they should be producing them but just go wow that seems so high that he needs all those magazines you know if you're going in there and he's got this higher number or she has this really inflated number you're at a disadvantage because then they don't have as much to give you because they've got this whole inflated scenario going on what other things like that do you guys see that people should be really looking for when they look through what your other side has presented to you. I just want to comment on, on what you just said about the person who inflates it like that. That person, typically the person on the other side, deflates the amount that they have to put in there because they're trying to be so accurate on what it is, where, or what they shouldn't. They start downsizing their lifestyles because they know eventually they'll have to. So that's definitely something to always look at. I'm glad you looked at that, Tracy, uh, because you were probably crossing all the uh, T's and dotting all the I's when you were going through your actual numbers by going through your statements and being really accurate, which is very important, and to be truthful, which we're hoping everybody is. But, um, you know, the other side is um, going crazy 
you should also take time to say, okay, maybe I'm not doing this, but this was our plan to do this. Like I'm not saving $500 a month for retirement, but we were saving $500 a month. So I'm going to include that because I need to save for my retirement. If I do not have an employer sponsored plan and we set up an IRA for us every year, you don't take that away because you don't think you can afford it. That was your plan. That's the way the two of you lived. Keep that on your side. If it has to come off post-divorce or in negotiations, then that's where you negotiate it, but not in the beginning. So you put anything down that was your plan and how the two of you were living and then adjust later if, if, if needed. Um, but the problem is everybody gets this stack of paper from their attorneys. It could be, what, Karen, 80 pages or 100 questions. And the, the easiest thing to answer is to rattle off some numbers that you could just kind of guess at. And you that's the first thing they went back. So everybody just kind of does it quickly and feels like they could check that off their list. They did it. But that's a mistake. So it's daunting to get it um, to you like that. That's why we create the process we create. We'll actually do that with you. We actually take a whole appointment to do that with you. Um, when we were getting on a Zoom call and actually going through the numbers, that's how important it really is. Yeah. yeah. So that you understand how those numbers are going to play through when, you know, being interpreted by all of your divorce professionals. Tracy, to your point of the forensics, of attorneys, of mediators, of your spouse, um, a lot of times we see these financial decks coming back through and you can tell that, you know, the spouse just threw it together to your point of just throwing in numbers for whatever reason. So to the extent that you can be accurate, um, it, it raises your credibility and your integrity as you process your divorce. And it, it helps this whole exercise become, helps you be educated in how things play out. So while it's super tedious, it's really important to, to the extent that you can be as precise as possible. It definitely has a bearing on, on who you are as a person and that you're approaching this from the, the most, the highest place of integrity. And that sets you up um, to get a more fair result later down the road. And to be clear, being accurate could mean that you do not have um, you do not have accessibility to that information. So if your spouse has the accounts and they register the accounts and they have the passwords, but you know that there's a brokerage account with, let's say, Merrill Lynch, you can write Merrill Lynch down and say husband has the information or wife has the information. That's very accurate. And if on the other side, they say they don't have the information, that's not accurate because they can get the information, but you want, you want to put it in there. If you can't access it, you can't access it. Mm -hmm. Don't guess at a number from a number that you heard five years ago. Right. Right. I actually had that on as our next kind of intro was, was about what if they don't produce it? Um, or, or what if they're using false numbers? Um, because or they don't have the information. So many victims of narcissistic abuse are financially abused. They have no idea that there's a Merrill Lynch account. They have no idea where the pieces of any of their life have been. Um, what happens in that situation? Again, they can say, I know there's an electric bill, but I don't know it. And then, you know, they put on something that is unrealistic, like a $5,000 rent. They put on something and you're like, how do I combat that? Um, how do we work on that one? Yeah. So there's a variety of ways and, and it can be done in different ways, very relative to how it's playing out. But a lot of times to Catherine's point, you, we just say um, spouse has information 
or we use the spouse's number and say, this is what spouse put down, but it has not been verified. So continuing to say those things helps you understand that you don't know, you're not taking it for granted, but it's also helping the courts and your attorneys understand that you need information to back all of this up. Um, and so then again, it's even more important that what information you do know is very accurate. Um, and so that that's kind of how we approach it. A lot, a lot of qualifiers in that space. Mm-hmm. And, and not yeah. from an emotional space. It's just, this is what I know and this is what I don't know. And yeah. Yeah, and I'd like to give you a little tip if you're dealing with a spouse with that personality disorder. Um, You know, don't be afraid to let them give you the information. Let them feel like they're in the know and they're going to educate you on what you have. So give them the opportunity to fill out a form. It doesn't mean that you're going to agree with it, but there's no need to disagree with it because they'll disclose more things that will lead to other things if you properly have it assessed. So I love looking at the information that um, a a spouse will like to give, thinking that we're not going to see through it or we don't know what our components could be related to that asset. You know, and if the value is there and the assets disclosed in that matter, it doesn't mean you have to agree with that value, but it is a great starting point. It's a great way to kind of shut down that spouse who's aggressive financially and say, okay, I'm going to make you feel like you're giving me, putting me in the know, but I'm going to take that data to a professional and hopefully you come through our process because we can um, tackle it a little differently. Um, And then we can ask for the documentation to support it and anything else that we need, because often they disclose things that wouldn't be disclosed if you're letting them do it in the beginning. Um, So let them fill out the form before you fill out your own. Nice. That's a really important thing. You know, we were talking about the budgeting and, and, you know, uh, to my mind, electricity came to mind. You got to put a line down for what it costs, but well, it's, you know, it's this time of the year and I don't use that much air conditioning or heat. You know, it, it really should be something that they they put in because the highest and you know it could be hot in in the summer we we can go up to this high and it could be this high in the winter with heat right it it is something about an average it is something that they need to know that they need to be protected for when the air conditioning needs to go higher when the heat goes higher if they put in that lower number well it's averages this like I went back five years and I put them in a spreadsheet, added them up and divided them. That was where I knew I would get it because it took the highs and it took the lows and you weren't going to be left with not enough money in your budget for things as small as that. There's much bigger things people have to worry about, but you know, when they're putting their own numbers in there, I want them to know that it's not just what you paid last month. It is a cumulative average. That's going to protect you so much more than just Sure, you know, putting something in because you don't know the truth. Um, yeah, I so agree with that, Tracy. And a lot of people may not have records back like you did for five years, but you can feel very comfortable going to the utility companies for your marital home and ask them for a payment history. You can ask for payment histories all over the place that gets you to that average number. And actually, again, it's a good exercise in your journey to your new independent life, because this information will be very important to you as you're managing your own money, especially if you never have done that before. So creating these relationships and knowing where to go for information if you don't have it for yourself is 
is actually something good to do and helpful, not only for the financial debt, but for you moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the very least, if you don't have patience to do what either of you are asking, because I know I'm not a budget person myself, but just be wary of when you look at a bill and you're looking it up um, and you say, okay, the last bill we paid was $120. Make sure you're paying attention. Was that a quarterly bill? Or was that a monthly bill? Or was that an annually bill or a semi-annual bill? Because a lot of times people will put that number in as if it was just their annual bill or if it was just their monthly bill or what have you, when it really wasn't in fact that. And then we can take it and multiply it out to determine what your monthly bill is. Mm -hmm. What you That's ladies great. do is so powerful. I have so many clients that are using your services and every one of them is so grateful. So I'm grateful that you've done that to help them but the importance of people understanding their financial picture. I tell people, like, I can't even tell you how many people come to me. We had mediation, but it didn't work. And that's the, my first call with them. And I'm like, all right, so, you know, everything was on the table. No, we never had a tax return. We never had financial affidavits, but they made an offer. So we went oh. to mediation and my skin just wants to drip off my face. I'm like, no, why did I, you my, I think my hair is standing up right now from you saying <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to talk to that one? Because that is such a, an important part of, of what people have to understand. Let me apologize if we take over this whole conversation because Karen and I can brew over this back and forth and back and forth. It's probably one of the things I know weekly comes into our conversations um, when we recap what happened with clients over the week. But I'll let you take it, Karen, because I know I'll go way down an alley. <laughs> it's so frustrating. <laughs> well, yeah, and we're talking about premature negotiations, right? That's that's mm -hmm. what you're referring to, Tracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and filling out financial decks help you understand where the holes are, and you can fill. That's part of you learning to drive the train. It's part of you as a client. This is your file. Your professionals are working for you. You're paying them. You're making the decisions. And if you don't have the financial clarity or the knowledge or the empowerment to make those decisions, you're handing it over to a big black hole of called the divorce industry, right? Mm -hmm. So to the extent you can take these little steps of knowing what your electric bill is, I mean, really, it's that simple, that it empowers you to know where the bigger things and the bigger things and the bigger things and why all of those dollar amounts are so important. But going into mediation and not having any financial information, I don't even understand the purpose of it. I, I, I can't even, I wish if you're listening to us and you have a, a good outcome from not understanding anything that you have financially, you make a comment here because I would love for us to get back on and entertain those questions. And if you have been sent to mediation without you wanting to go without information, I'd love to hear from you too, because I can't have one person stand up to me and confirm to me that it was worth them going without this information. You'll spend $1,500 for a day. You could spend 10 hours in some states like South Carolina mediating and, and not coming, just coming to a conclusion at the end that you're, cause you're so tired and you just want to agree to something. But I think it's really cruel if you're an attorney or you're a mediator and you're asking your client to go into that process without making sure that they have the documentation and the financial clarity needed, um, because you can't make a smart decision. There's just absolutely no way. Absolutely. No, and you're going to be, uh, um, I don't know if bully the right, is the right word, but pressure certainly is to make a settlement 
because then it becomes, well, if you don't settle for this, this is probably a pretty good settlement. I knew right out of the gate what your settlement was going to be. And I think this is good and fair. And if you don't do this, then we're going to trial and you're going to owe me 50,000 more dollars. So I really think you should take this settlement. Mm-hmm. And your emotions are so um, high that you make that settlement. And the next day, you wish to God you could have that day back. Um, because- you know, I want to talk about a case that we had, Karen, and uh, a couple, I mean, we could talk about a thousand of them probably, but this one in particular, she goes to mediation. She feels exactly what you're saying and decides that they come to an agreement. So the two attorneys, she doesn't sign anything. So the two attorneys then leave. And in this particular state, the attorneys had to go to mediation with you. You couldn't just go to mediation as a couple. So they come to this agreement. Yeah, 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 they're done. They want to be done. So her agreement comes to her written in in the legal format, what have you. And something's going off in her stomach saying, I don't even know why I agreed to this. Like, this is not really what I agreed to. She heard about us. She came to us. We asked for documentation of which half she didn't have. We just said, go back. We had about 15 or 20 questions, literally financial questions for her to go back and said, maybe you want to ask your, your attorney, these questions you're not clear. And we're not clear either. At this point, attorney fires her and says, this is an embarrassment. If you want me to go back to the attorney after we agreed to this, now I'm going to go back and tell them that you don't agree. And meanwhile, it wasn't that she wasn't agreeing. She just needed to be clear on what she just sat through and agreed to an emotional state without really the documentation. So Lucky for her, she just let him let him let him go, and she got a new attorney um, who would answer her questions and, and and would make sure that she had the deal that she could live with. Um, she was so happy that she got a deal that was more equitable than what she was pressured into in that mediation. Right. Um, but it takes some level of confidence and empowerment, right? So this we have this happen all the time, but just this week. Um, a client was saying, well, my attorney says I have to um, go to mediation and it's next week. And I said, well, is discovery in? No, discovery is not in. But she said, won't they get mad at me? Won't that make me look bad in the court's eye if I'm the one who's asking for a rescheduling? She had all these fears. So as a legal liaison, we reached out to her attorney and said, you know, do you think it's uh, smart for her to go to mediation without the documentation in hand? And because it's us and not the client, of course, they're not going to say, oh, yes, it's smart. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, he did come back and say, well, we don't think we can reschedule. And I said, look, client, you're the client. You can say, I don't feel comfortable. I don't have enough information to make a settlement. So he then agreed. She copied me in. He then agreed. And he said, you're right. I don't think you do either. Okay. So then now mediation is rescheduled, but we still have to get the documentation. So now she still has to be proactive enough to say, okay, so what are you going to do now to make sure we get that documentation? Like our, you know, now we have 60 days, but we still need the documentation. So you, as a client, you have to be driving the train. You have to be engaged, a part of the process, um, starting, you know, with square one. Right. So I have an answer for Catherine here on, you know, why they're rushing them into mediation. If we look at the actual like behaviors of a narcissist, 
when they're first meeting someone, the love bombing stage, the I can't tell you how many thousands, including myself, were married within six months of meeting the narcissist, right? They're rushing intimacy. They're rushing decisions so that you don't find out the truth. Had a year gone by, you would have seen some other ugly sides that they were able to kind of keep hidden for a little while. This is exactly the same strategy. Just take it from the beginning to the end and put it in the financial model and say, of course, they're going to rush you through. So because they think you're so stupid that you don't understand your finances and you'll take their stupid deal. Sorry, I'm getting angry, but this is what they do. They, they coercively control you to saying, you have no rights. The gaslighting comes in here. You have no rights. You were a stay-at-home mom. I made all the money. This is, you know, and so they intimidate that that person, the victim, into settling. And we're here today, all three of us, to say, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what? Even before you don't do that, when you, another thing I love about our process is that when you are financially when, when that knowledge gap is filled and you are financially um, feeling more, not secure, but more, um, I hate to even say empowered, but you're feeling financially like you're going, you're going to start taking a little control over this or you're in the know a little bit, right? Once that happens, if we can get you this, your divorce financial portrait, which even has, it's even like a baby blanket because it has all the considerations you need. So if you're sitting in there and you're nervous, which you will, or you're crying, which you will, um, you can just look down and read from there what you need to consider. So it's as easy as that. But more importantly than that, with people who are married to anyone with a narcissistic um, trait, you tend to, I don't know, Tracy, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but you tend to gravitate towards that as your professional because you're married 20 years to that type of personality. That's all you really know, which is probably why divorce rates go higher the second and third time around, because you don't ever really fix the hurt that you have. So you remarry into the same type of personality, whatever attracts you to it. So I see people going to attorneys who I believe have the same trait, and now they're letting the attorney guide them and tell them what to do and when to settle. And so you really just kind of coasting through this and never really getting to the best part of your life. And that's taking control of it and walking away from that. So I think even the space that we provide gives you a little bit of power to say, you know what? I know the complexity of my estate now. I know what I don't have. And now a really good attorney is going to take that and answer your questions the way they need to be answered because they're going to see what they're dealing with. And they're not going to be dealing with your emotions. They're going to be dealing with the data. And that's what they're trained to do to help you get to the best case. And then you're not going into the same cycle again. Get out of that cycle. And this, I think, could be your first step to getting out of that. Yeah. Well, knowing your financial truth, right? That's what you guys do. That is like, here's what you've got. Here's the questions. As you described it with that client a little while ago, why do we not, why is your lawyer not saying Hey, there's something suspicious here. And that's because they don't know numbers. They call in forensics because they don't know numbers. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to go through it and go, oh, 5,000 seems weird. Like they're not going to go through that, What, which is what you girls do. The, the help that you offer to people that is the security of, of their future, right? You're negotiating with the truth 
instead of the lies of somebody who is going to manipulate you or simply like a lawyer just go all right well you know nobody ever got more than 50 percent, 51 percent. that's all you're gonna get you know mm -hmm. if someone's telling them that and they are in a position of power a narcissistic victim has a, a problem with people in power because of this so they believe them oh they're the lawyer i made them you know they're so smart and i'll believe them and and it is such a huge disadvantage so i think what you girls are doing is so powerful i can't tell everyone we're going to put your information down below um but if you could tell everyone where they can find you and um and just get started with that sure so our website is my divorce solution just one solution, mydivorcesolution.com. Um, there you can find a lot of information about us. We invite you to take an assessment um, that just starts again, your awareness of your marital estate and uh, what questions. It just starts the exercise of knowledge and learning. Um, we can also be found on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we have our online community that you can also access, sign up for our newsletter. Um, tons and tons of resources and we invite you to just dig in and learn all that you can because your empowerment will get you to the finish line and you forgot your podcast because that's where they can get more juice from you girls more, <laughs> more information so more true like that uh, to me i i see it i see the announcement on instagram i watch the little thing and i head right over that's how this yeah. topic came up i'm like we gotta talk about this girl okay. yeah. divorce we chat divorce we love it yeah yeah so thank you ladies for being here today this has been a great conversation i hope that it helps people i know that it will and um is there anything you want that we missed that you want to close with I would say the first step is just taking the step, take the assessment. You deserve, you have every right and you deserve to know financially what's going on and stop if you don't. Nobody deserves to take that away from you and I don't care who they are. So take that step and um, we'll be there to answer your questions. Perfect. Well, thank you ladies so much. I will look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank yeah. you. Wasn't that great? I tell you, they are so, so smart and I just respect everything they are doing. I cannot tell you enough how they have changed the lives of my clients. Um, within an hour of receiving financial papers from one of my clients and that client had already paid about 20 grand in forensic accountants, these girls were like detectives within an hour they were like this isn't right this isn't right where's that what's that boom 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 and it changed the direction and the trajectory of their divorce so i can't implore enough of you to sit there and see the value in going to someone that is going to do this work for you because i can tell you your lawyer is not going to as we said on the video they don't know finances. They know the law. That's what they went there. They didn't become accountants to sit there and understand it. That is why when a lawyer is faced with the financial confusion of a narcissistic divorce, they throw in the forensic accountants. The forensic accountants look at the numbers, put them in a spreadsheet. They're number of people. They stick it in. They don't ask questions. They're not financial detectives. They're not going, this is missing. What's wrong with that picture? Don't go to mediation, don't go to trial or court until you have the full financial picture. 
because I can guarantee you that the narcissist is taking advantage of you. If they have not revealed the information, been truthful and honest, that's because they're going to get more. And that by not telling you, that's the game. We know that's the game. So look them up, see how they can help you. Their system is amazing. And what they've given us here is awesome. So thank you all for coming. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to my channel, please do. This is Tracy Malone. I am so happy to see you. Thank you.